Well, welcome. Uh, my name is Jeannie, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to, uh, to meet all of you in such a wonderfully warm, intimate setting right now. Uh, you know, we're in our final week talking about the anatomy of love. And uh, like any other week, I really want to try and communicate as best I can the heart of God and, uh, and speak from the heart of God as best I can. And honestly, I think what happens when uh, you bring up sexuality and God, uh, there's a certain amount of discomfort that automatically comes to the surface, right? Like if I were to say to you tonight, we're going to spend the next few moments talking about the Bible, very few of you would become uncomfortable right now, right? We're going to spend the next few moments, we're going to talk about prayer. Or we're going to spend the next few moments about how to, how to help those that are hurting. There would be very few of us that would walk into a, a spirit of discomfort. But for whatever reason, when we bring up God and sexuality, it's like we're all transported to junior high for a moment, right? It's like we all have this little moment where we're like, oh, I don't, they're really going to do this? She's really going to do this in church? She's going to talk about God and sex? Oh, that's so uncomfortable. I got to go to the bathroom. I got I to gotta, like, send a text message. I think I left the car lights on. You know? and, and we get a little squirmy. In fact, I see you all. You're squirmy right now. Okay. And so over the next few moments, I'm going to actually talk about God's heart when it comes to sexuality. And I'm going to tell some funny jokes. And, and it'd be good for you to laugh at those jokes, uh, you know, instead of being all uncomfortable and, and awkward and stuff, because they're funny. Believe me, they're very funny. I tested them on my five-year-old and three-year-old, and they laughed, okay? But uh, I think part of the reason why so many of us, uh, we have such a hard time when it comes to talking about sex in, in connection with God is, is I think we have a general feeling, we have a general belief about what we think God thinks about sex. And that general belief is, don't do it. Like, when we think about God and when we think about sex, we think that God's heart is, whatever you do, don't do it, right? And, and, and this gets ingrained in us at a very young age, you know, kids, they start wondering about how we got here and, and who was involved in the process and, you know, how did I get here? And, and mom and dad, do you have anything to do with this? You know, and, and kids start asking wonderful questions. And not long into the journey, they start getting very curious and, and they have this incredibly innocent way of looking at love and, and dating and marriage. In fact, a whole bunch of kids were uh, sort of brought together and they were asked a bunch of questions uh, on these topics. And, and, um, and it's hilarious, their answers. Uh, an eight-year-old by the name of Mike was asked this question. What do most people do on a date? And I love Mike's answer. This is what he says. He's eight years old, okay? On a first date, they just tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. Mike is very, very perceptive, right? Okay. <laughs> Eight years old. And Tom, who's five, was asked this question. He was asked, what is the proper age to get married? And this is Tom's answer. Once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> five years old. Very confident little kid. And then this other little boy, Bobby, who by the eight, uh, at the age of seven, he was asked this question. When asked about love, this is what he said. Love it's going to find you. And even if you're trying to hide from it, it's going to find you. Because I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but those girls keep finding me. 
Bobby, I think, is going to do just fine. And, and we start out so innocent, don't we? And, and kids have such a, a, a curiosity about love. I know my kids do. Every time they see my husband and I a hug and kiss, you know, my, our three-year-old is like, oh, you're in love. And, you know, and there's this wonderful beauty and this curiosity that children have about love. But somewhere along the way, it starts to snowball a bit. And this incredible, wonderful thing, uh, at times it has the potential to become very confusing. And it can almost snowball into this, this very difficult and lethal and painful thing in our lives. And the thing is, is that we need to remember where it actually began and what it was intended for. You see, in in order to understand God's heart on sexuality, we actually have to go all the way back to the creation, to the creation account where sexuality began, through the author of sex, which is God. You see, God had this crazy idea thousands and thousands of years ago. He set out to create people, people that would be made in his image, literally a reflection of him, that we would be this living and breathing and loving picture of the heart of God. And you think about it because God, he literally could have made us these sort of like mindless, clueless, non-sexual beings sort of roaming the planet. But he decided actually to go much further than that. He decided to make us unique, to give us thoughts, to give us feelings, to give us choices, to give us desires. And he gave us the gift of sex. In fact, last week we looked at this passage in Genesis 1. And it says this, Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then it says in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So in other words, you look at this passage. In other words, you you can almost look at what what God's heart is behind this passage. And, And essentially, our whole life is to be a reflection and a reminder of God. Even our sexuality, especially our sexuality, is to point people back to the reflection of God. So you could read this verse in a, in a very literal perspective, and you could say, okay, God is saying, fill the earth and subdue it. Like, have lots and lots of babies and just put them around the planet, okay? You, you could look at it in, in a very literal way, or you can try and picture the heart of God and what God is actually saying to Adam and Eve. Because you have to remember, this is a conversation, okay? God is talking to Adam and Eve. They're having a conversation in the garden. This is is creator God who just created man and woman. And he's saying to them, listen, I know I just created you, but here's the thing. I created you to create others. I created you to create others. What I just did, I created you to do. And here's the thing. You're going to do it really differently than I just did it. Okay? You're not going to go like digging in the dirt and you're not going to loan one another a rib or something. You know, the way that you're going to do this, the way that you are going to actually reflect my image as you create others, is you're going to do it through this thing called 
sex. And let me tell you, it's good. It's really good. I created it. And you just sort of picture this moment. Again, God is having a conversation with Adam and Eve, okay? They're in the garden. They're talking. And you can just sort of imagine, like, Adam and Eve, all they know up until this point is, like, his creation and what they're supposed to do. And, and you can just sort of picture them, like, but Lord, you know, is it, is it as amazing as the sunset? Because, I mean, the sunset, that's amazing, Lord. It, I mean, really, this thing, sex, is, 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 that as, is it as good? And you can just sort of picture God, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's good. But Lord, Lord, I mean, like the wind and the waves and the water and, and, the, and the animals. I mean, like, Lord, is, is it as good as that? And just, you know, you just picture, it's good. Just believe me, it's good. But Lord, those cute little kittens, is it as good? You know, it, and you can just picture the heart of God. Yes, much, much better than kittens. And uh, it, you know, the thing is, is that God is trying to communicate to his people, to the, to the two people that he loves and that he just created in his image, I'm giving this gift to you. God sees sex as a gift. He literally could have just made it a part of the human experience, like sneezing or sleeping, okay? Something that we all have to do. But instead, he made it to be so much more than that. I mean, here you have Adam and Eve, okay? And, and, and God gives them these responsibilities. He says, you know, here's this garden, this incredible garden for you to live in. And all I want you to do is I want you to, you know, name the animals. I want you to take care of my garden. And I want you to have sex, you know? And, and Adam and Eve, I, I really do believe that this is why we have names like cat and dog and fish, because I think what happened was Adam and Eve discovered sex, and then afterwards they named those animals. Because they were like, okay, cat, dog, fish, go, let's have sex, you know? And, and you think about like, names like the duck-billed platypus and rhinoceros. Those all came before sex. I'm convinced of it. And here you have Adam and Eve, you know, and they're in the garden, and God has given them this incredible gift. And he's given it to them to enjoy He said, I give this to you as a gift. Enjoy it. And so we see very early on that this is one of God's most amazing and creative ideas. But God then also goes on and says, and I created it for a certain context. This incredible gift that I'm giving to you, it is to be in one context, in one context alone. And that is the context of marriage. It is created for a husband and for a wife to share throughout the journey of their marriage. And God designed it to actually get better and better. In fact, this is fascinating. There was an independent study done uh, just a couple of years ago by the Journal of American Medicine. And it was reported that married couples reported by far to enjoy the most sexual satisfaction in their relationships. The study also showed that the most sexually satisfied demographic group was married couples between the age of 50 and 59. Some of you are really freaking out because that's your parents. (laughs) And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. That's what it was intended to be. 
That's actually what it was intended to be. That it would be this incredible gift that would be shared between a husband and a wife. And that over time, it would actually become something better and better. This beautiful, intimate gift. And uh, many of you know that Jarrett and I, this summer, we're going to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And uh, when Jarrett and I got married, we were actually both virgins when we got married. And uh, before that, when we were probably in junior high or high school, we had made a commitment. And independently, we didn't know one another or anything like that. But we had both independently made a commitment that we wanted to wait to have sex until we were married. That we wanted to honor God's design for sex as something that should only take place between a husband and a wife. In fact, there's a passage in Scripture uh, in the book of Hebrews, and it says this, and, and this is in the message version. It says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And so here we, we dated for about three years. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, throughout those three years, it was a struggle for us. It, it, was, it was difficult. It was definitely difficult. And, and it was interesting to me that I had such a profound desire for this person that I was in love with, that I still am in love with. And, and yet God said, hold on that desire. Just hold on that desire right now. And, and honestly, it was strange to me that on August 10th of 1996, at about 4 o'clock, uh, Jarrett stood at the front of a church, and I walked down an aisle, and there were a bunch of songs that were sung, and some tears were shed, and some very important promises were made, and a kiss took place, and then 4.45, we, you know, walked out and rolled out the doors, and literally, magically, we could have had sex in that moment. I felt like somebody should have been kind enough to say, like, can we give you some time alone for a moment or something? Like, you know, and, and obviously, obviously that did not happen. Um, but literally, a legitimate question, a legitimate question has been asked, and, and many people have asked this question. What's the big deal? I mean, what takes place in that 45 minutes that somehow now makes it okay? Honestly, I mean, what makes the covenant of marriage so sacred? I mean, wouldn't it have just been better if God would have, like, waited to hand over the desire for people in that 45 minutes? Like, up until that point, they had never had a sexual desire in their life. And all of a sudden, now they're standing in the church, and there's a pastor there. People are singing songs, and all of a sudden, this emotion comes over there, and they're thinking to themselves, Good Lord, I'm I'm so glad we're here and we're about to make this thing official because uh, amazing, you know. And and, I mean, you just think like God could have like given angels to come down and you know like transport the desire in the church in that moment or something. I mean, it is a legitimate question as to as to why we struggle and we and we fight and and we have these desires that are placed inside of us from God. And I've had many conversations over the years where people have made very good arguments 
and have tried to you know, communicate that, that sex really is just a physical act. That nothing really else happens in the transaction. It's just a physical transaction. So it's really not all that big of a deal to, to sleep around or to have many different partners or to, to have sex before marriage, even with you know, maybe the, the person that you're intending to marry. But I have always found that conversation to be fascinating. Because to say that sex is just a physical transaction cheapens what we just talked about through God's design back in the garden. Because there's an emotional connection. There's a spiritual connection that happens every time two lives come together. You see, sex is much more than a physical transaction. It's a spiritual transaction as well. Sex is as much a spiritual transaction as it is physical. And honestly, it's not just the physical act of sex that begins to wound us so deeply. I think what has happened is is many have actually made the line of sex in their life the thing that, you know, I'm going to go right up to this boundary. And and I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to go right here. Everything else is just fine for me. We don't have to get God involved in the rest of it. And when we put the line all the way over at sex, it leaves a lot of room for all sorts of other questions, doesn't it? And in our rules and questions about sex and virginity, we miss the heart of God. We miss that God that we were just talking about in the garden. We miss that creator that actually gave sex as a gift. And what we do to him is we turn him into a virginity referee. That God is just sort of this referee out there making sure that we don't have sex. He's not the author of it. He's not the creator of it. He has no heart connected to it. All he cares about is that I don't cross this line. He's sort of lurking around every corner to make sure that I don't have sex. He's at every club I go to. He's on every couch where I'm at when I start to make out. And and we turn him into this virginity referee. And the truth, here is the truth. God actually isn't all that concerned about your virginity. It's not your virginity that God desires, actually. It's the purity of your heart. And when we get this, it radically redefines what we think about God and sex. You see, God cares way more about your purity than he does about your virginity. Jesus actually has a promise connected to purity. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There is no promise in the Bible that is connected to your virginity. There is not a verse in there that says, Blessed are the virgins, for thou shalt be rewarded one day, assuming thou get married before thou die. There is no verse like that in the Bible. Jesus said very clearly, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they 
will see God. To see God, and that's special. There's a blessing connected to that. When we pursue purity, your reward is the gift of the presence of God. Your life will be different. And this is what God is calling each of us towards. He is calling us towards a life of purity, not a life of keeping the rules. You see, purity goes much further than virginity ever could. You know, when you think about it, when you think about the difference between virginity and purity, Virginity is really more about avoiding, isn't it? It's making sure I don't do something. But purity is all about pursuing something. It's about pursuing this life that God intended for us. This life that is connected to a blessing. Virginity It ends. It ends at marriage, or at least it should end at marriage, right? But purity is something that literally lasts our entire life. Purity is something that God calls every single one of us. It's not just a message for those that are single or dating, or in a relationship. Purity is for literally every single person on the planet, and it never ends. Virginity only involves the act of sex. Purity involves my entire life. It involves my heart. It involves my soul. It involves my body. It involves my eyes. It involves my ears. It involves my actions. Purity literally involves our entire life. Virginity is all about me. It's all about what I won't do, what line I won't cross. Purity is about God with me. This is something that God calls us into relationship with him. Purity is something that we pursue with him. And purity is this wonderful thing that sort of levels the playing field. It's not just for those that are dating. Purity is God's desire for all of us. Now, there's no exception to the rule that that sex is for marriage, but purity is for everybody. Whether you're single or dating or married or divorced, it's what you and I were created for, and it is what we are called to. Purity is something that every single one of us can pursue, no matter where we're at in our lives. But I think if we're really honest, there are things that happen along the way in our life that begin to damage the picture of purity. Some of those things are things done to us, and then some of those things are things that we do. 
Sometimes it's really hard to process, and sometimes it's hard to, to really begin to, to understand some of the destruction that for many of us has come our way when it comes to this area of purity. And, and when you talk about things that have been done to us, I know for many people that that picture of purity and that image Oftentimes, it gets shattered through just a, a quick phrase or something that somebody says about you or to you. Maybe something that's been said about your body. Something that you heard. Maybe a comparison. And it, and it starts to go in and, and it starts to shatter this picture of purity. It starts to shatter this, this confidence that God intended for you to have. For others, it happens in something that was done to you. In a moment where someone took advantage of you, or you found yourself in a situation and you had no idea how to get out of that situation. And believe me, I have sat across from many people over the years that have been in situations that are just horrific and terrible, that break the heart of God that should have never happened. And yet it, it set a trajectory and an emotion in their life that involved pursuing purity to become very difficult. I know others that at a very young age, they were exposed to an impurity through pornography, through through a movie or through a magazine or, or something that their young, innocent, sweet eyes should have never seen. And it just set them on a rampage of not being able to see the true beauty of humanity. I think we all know the statistics as well that oftentimes... The, the pursuit of purity is so difficult and so broken because of sexual abuse or sexual assault that happens. You know, one in three women, one in five men. And the heart of God literally breaks. Because what we talked about in that beautiful picture in that garden that moment was never God's intent. It was never his heart for that to happen. And many carry around literally a suitcase of pain with them. And it causes so much trouble in the pursuit of purity. And then there's also ways, not just ways that, that things have been done to us, but ways that, that we have begun to break the picture of purity in our sexuality. Anytime we settle for anything, anything but God's best, that image, it starts to, starts to crack in big things or small things. When pornography becomes this quick fix addiction, and, and it's this thing that that becomes this, this hope of, of it's going to fill a void, and then what ends up happening is it leaves us with an even deeper void. Anytime sex becomes selfish, 
when it becomes this quest for a self-gratification, the random hookups here or there, sort of this desire to, to never really emotionally connect yourself to another person and to just sort of have a, a whole lot of relationships going out there. Maybe it's, it's sometimes not even in our outward acts, but it's in how you look at the opposite sex. It's how you see them with your eyes. It's how you, you glaze over them. Maybe it, it has to do in, in how you dress and what you're trying to communicate to the opposite sex. And it becomes this, this almost like selfish game. It, it's like this, this thing of, of how much you can warrant attention to yourself. And any time, any time, whether it's things done to us or things that we have done, any time that we break this picture of purity, it breaks that reflection of sexuality that God designed for us. And the Bible is really clear. Anytime something is broken, God is always on the scene. It's one of the things that I most love about Jesus is that he is literally a magnet to what is broken. And when he sees brokenness, his heart breaks. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is found in Psalm 147. And it says, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I mean, this is the nature of God. This is, this is the character of God. That when something is broken... He must see it restored. And for some of us in this room tonight, this is very good news. Very good news. Really, if I'm being honest, for all of us in this room, this is very good news. Because to level the playing field, there's not one of us in this room that's 100% all the way here. There are areas in our life where we are missing the marks of pursuing purity. And some of us, it's much deeper. And, and, and for many of us, these wounds, they just feel like these big scrapes and scratches on our soul. And, and we walk around with, with this thing that's hidden and, and we hope no one sees it. But underneath there's so much shame and regret or, or maybe there's justification or maybe there's fear or isolation or, or there's so much secrecy in your life or, or there's this torment of a bad memory or this numbness or this doubt. And for some of you in this room tonight, the very thing that you need to hear is that there is freedom. God never intended for you to carry those things. He never intended for you to live with shame or regret or justification or fear or isolation or secrecy. He intended for you to live with hope, with wholeness, with restoration, with redemption, with peace, and with forgiveness. And God wants to bind up the broken pieces 
And he does not want you to walk in shame or to be crippled. He wants actually those pieces to bring you, to bring him more glory. And that's, that's the amazing thing about God. That's the amazing thing about his character. And, and the part of the journey where he involves us is that it always includes this repentance and acknowledgement. It always includes owning our part of the equation, owning our sin or acknowledging that there was a sin committed against us and accepting God's grace and forgiveness and really, really receiving it. For some in this room, receiving God's grace is the easy part. And the more difficult part is actually offering yourself some forgiveness and grace. The reason I know that is that's the most difficult thing for me. I can cognitively so often know that I'm forgiven, that God's grace is sufficient for me, but it's all of my expectations of myself. It's all of the things that I think I'm supposed to be, the ways that I shouldn't have failed. And oftentimes God just wants to say, have grace, receive forgiveness. And it will require a shift in your life. It will require probably for some of you doing some things different. To pursue purity, to actually to, to say I'm going to pursue purity instead of just avoid and, and, and live over here and to just sort of you know, stay in this virginity camp. It may require stopping an empty relationship. It may literally mean tonight you need to make a phone call. It may mean that that place that you tend to frequent on Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you don't frequent that place anymore. It may require that you have a very honest conversation with a friend, more honest than it has ever been before. It may require that you and your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you have a very serious conversation on your next date night. And it always requires taking a step towards God. Because that is the place where healing always begins, is with God. You know, um, we have two kids, and um, my kids are are really into Band-Aids right now. And um, and they look for every opportunity to wear a Band-Aid. In our, in our house. And I think it's partially because we have Spider-Man Band-Aids and Princess Band-Aids in our house. And so they're always looking for an opportunity to put a Band-Aid on. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were at the park and Elijah fell and he scraped the top of, the, of his foot. And it wasn't that bad or anything, but he scraped it enough that um, we knew that if we didn't like wash it out every day and put some Neosporin on, it could have gotten infected. And so for about the last week and a half, we've actually, you know, sort of been, you know, every day we've got this little ritual where we sit down and we wash the little cut and we put the Neosporin on and put the Band-Aid on. And, and of course, every day it's always a different Spider-Man Band-Aid, you know, it can't be the same, uh, you know, day after day. And, uh, and of course, Gigi has to wear one even though she has no injuries on her body. And uh, yesterday afternoon, we were uh, taking the Band-Aid off of Elijah's foot. And uh, we took it off, and he looked down at his foot, and he goes, Mom, my cut is gone. 
And he was like, it's all better. Oh my gosh, do you think God healed my foot? And it was just this great moment. And I loved his question because his question revealed a spirit of belief that God can do anything. I mean, his question was like, God must have healed my foot, right? And some of us, I think we've forgotten that God can do anything, especially, especially when it comes to the area of sexuality in our lives. And we look at our past with with so much shame and so much regret, and we literally think there's no, there's no way that God can heal that. There's no way that he can give me a fresh start. There's no way that I can be like an etch-a-sketch and he can sort of shake me up and I can be all clean and start again. But I, I loved in, the, in that moment with my son and we sat on our living room floor and I said, baby, yes. You know, mom and dad, we washed it and we put the Band-Aid on and the Neosporin helped. But of course, of course God healed your foot. Because that's what God does. He takes broken things and he makes them right. He takes what's hurting and he says, I'm going to actually bring hope here. He takes where there is so much shame and regret and he literally says, I'm going to set you on a new path and you're going to never look back. And instead of hiding or running, instead of pretending that we have it all together, instead of just trying extra hard to remain a virgin, God says, I've set you up for purity. And and here's how I know. Here's how I know you're going to be able to remain pure. Because you're going to see my face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And my hunch is you had a lot going on in your day today. There was like 5,000 festivals around Chicago today. And, and I'm sure you came here to see some friends, and I'm sure maybe, you know, a friend brought you, and this is a great first time at Soul City. Every week we talk about sex, just like this. But my hunch is the reason you got in the car, the reason you drove over here, the reason you got on the L is you wanted to have an encounter with the living God, the living God that can literally bring you to purity, that can bring you to freedom, that can bring you hope, that can bring you healing. The scriptures say in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we're going to do something tonight um, that Christians literally have been doing for thousands of years. And we're going to take communion together. And the reason we're going to do that tonight is because it's an opportunity for us to actually come to this table that Jesus said we should do this as a way to remember the sacrifice that was paid for us and to actually have a physical act, a reminder that there is no way that we can pursue purity outside 
of a relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to invite you to come to the table and invite you to, to take a piece of bread and to, to rip it off and to, to dip it in the cup and to let it serve as a physical reminder to you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can be made pure. You can be made clean. And in that moment, I encourage you to just to take a moment and to, and to pray and to ask God to give you the strength to pursue this purity. And the next thing that we're going to have you do, and as we just read in that passage, is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we're going to invite you, um, some of you, uh, maybe all of us, we're going to invite you to be prayed for by some of the different uh, leaders and, and small group leaders and um, people in our community that shepherd and care. And we're going to invite you to just go up to one of them and to ask them to pray for you. And for many of us, this is like the moment where you're like, oh, geez, okay, I mean, I can do the bread, I can do the juice, you know, but really... Like, do I got to, like, confess my sins? Like, should I come up with a list? Like, are they going to read it over? Like, are they going to put it on Facebook tomorrow? None of those things are going to happen. But I can tell you there have been moments in my life where someone has come alongside of me and they've put their hand on my shoulder and they've looked me in the eyes and they've said, let me pray for you. I know that this thing that you're, you're trying to do is really hard. I know this desire for purity in your life. You feel like uh, you're hitting more failure than you are hitting success. Let me pray for you. Let me remind you that you're loved. Let me remind you that I'm with you. Let me remind you that you're not alone. Let me remind you that you're accepted. And those of you that just had that little knot in your stomach while I was talking, that wasn't me talking to you. That's, that's the way the Holy Spirit speaks. Some of you just need to walk up to a leader, um, a shepherd in our community, maybe somebody you don't even know. Say, we pray for me. We pray for me. We pray that I pursue this kind of purity. And on the tables, uh, we actually have some Band-Aids for you. And after you take communion, um, I want to encourage you to pick up a Band-Aid and to put it somewhere this week where you're going to be reminded to pursue purity. Maybe you need to wear it all week on your hand. Maybe you need to put it on your cell phone. Me, I'm going to put it on my computer because oftentimes for me, that's the place where I'll be tempted to compare myself to somebody else. And I can very quickly go down a route um, where purity gets lost quickly in my mind. And so I'm going to put mine on my computer. But we want to encourage you to put this in a place to be reminded that God heals the brokenhearted. And he sets us on a trajectory for purity. So I'm going to pray for us, and when we're done, I'm going to invite you to come to the tables to receive some prayer uh, and to pick up a Band-Aid, and we'll continue to worship God. So we pray with me? 
Father, we come before you now. And Father, we come in a spirit of repentance. And God, we want to ask that you you would be that loving Father, that you would hold us in your arms, that you would remind us that we are loved by you. And Jesus, we confess to you that there are areas of our life that are broken, areas of shame and regret, areas of pain that we have been carrying around with us. God, some of this is things that have been done to us that should have never happened. Some of this is things that we have done. But God, we come in a spirit of repentance. We come confessing to you and we come asking for forgiveness, Jesus. And we pray that you would make us new, that you would make us clean. We thank you so much, Jesus, for the example that you gave us in coming to the communion table. We thank you for your body and for your blood that was shed for us so that we could have new life. And I pray for myself and for my friends in this room right now, God. We pray that these next few moments, that this would be holy ground, God. We pray that we would commune with you, that we would experience your presence, we would experience your grace and your love and your mercy, literally like we're experiencing it for the first time. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the promise that the pure in heart will see you. And God, we want to see you. And so we give you this time. We give you this worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. So there's two tables in the front. There's a table in the back. I invite you to come.